Welcome to the I Believe Your Abuse podcast. Here we talk all things narcissistic abuse, but we focus mainly on romantic relationships with the narcissist. I'm your host, Brandy Fuller-Anderson. I've been doing counseling and coaching for over 10 years. I'm a recovery coach. I was married to a narcissist for seven years, and I'm an advocate and author on narcissistic abuse. If you're tuning in, then you're likely going to hear me refer to the narcissist as a he. So know that this is just what associates better with my personal experience, and it would be much too difficult for me to try to be neutral when telling stories. So it works for me, and it makes no judgment of narcissists being only male. It is just the way my stories are told. But you are free to insert whatever pronoun feels most fitting for you, because narcissists can be men or women, straight or gay, married or single, rich or poor. They come from all walks of life, just like the rest of us, so please keep this in mind. If you have any questions about what I mean when I say narcissist, you can head back and listen to episode one. I would love for us all to be on the same page here. Also, know that there's a support available in between episodes. Just visit the website, ibelieveyourabuse.com, for all kinds of resources and supports and a way to help spread awareness of narcissistic abuse. And you can also follow along on Facebook or Instagram by searching I Believe Your Abuse. As some of you may be aware, I'm giving away my recovery book for free in celebration of the new year, free from narcissistic abuse. And I'll go over how to get your copy at the end of today's episode, so stay tuned until the end. This is a red flag bonus episode where I discuss the many, many red flags, a few at a time, that were often overlooked in the early stages of a relationship with a narcissist for a lot of reasons, many of which were not considered to be red flags in the moment. But as we educate ourselves on the topic now, we can learn from them and use them to develop healthier boundaries in the future so we can avoid finding ourselves trapped in a toxic relationship. I don't care to ever find myself in that situation again, and I'm sure you can agree. Today, I'll be discussing a topic that I found surprising at how little notice many of us gave it during our relationship with the narcissist. Something it just never occurred to us to really take notice of or to dig a little deeper into. Something we easily justified as drama or different family values. Something we might have even fooled ourselves into believing meant the narcissist was just all the more into this new courtship. Something that had to be paid some attention to in the very beginning of it all, because we were quickly unknowingly separated from it and any answers it might have brought with it. Today we discuss narcissistic connections. This week's red flag number one is a history of short-lived relationships. Now, keep in mind for this one, there's always an exception to the rule. More covert subtypes might prefer to spend many years devaluing the same partner, or a particularly lazy narc who simply just doesn't want to expend the energy needed to find new partners could be the same way, or maybe a less attractive narc who has more difficulty attracting a new partner might be likely to hang on to one for a little bit longer. 
or even one who holds a position at work or in the community that demands they fit the crafted facade of a coupled partner, or one who's able to extract any needed supply behind the back of their partner without worry. But for the most part, if you check out a narcissist's track record, they will have no discernible dating history, or they will have many, many short-term relationships. It may not always be apparent. If they appeared to spend five years married, you may have difficulty seeing the 23 people they slept with during their marriage on the many occasions they were kicked out of the home for poor behavior and the 42 one-night stands they had in the three months since their alleged divorce. Remember that with the narcissist, there's always a more truthful side to the story than the one they've told you. I know this probably sounds very unhelpful. How would I know he had several short-term relationships if he was pretending to be in a serious relationship, right? I get it. But if I think back to the relationship my now ex-husband had with even the so-called friends in his life, they changed often. It was almost as if he could tell when they needed a break from them. And he would oblige. He was never one that people turned to for support, so I have to believe that others could tell he really didn't give a shit about anyone but himself. He reached out when he was in need of something, but didn't bother when he wasn't in need or their attention or their money or their alibi wasn't something he was looking for. With his so-called friends, and I call them his so-called friends because narcissists do not develop any real friendships with anyone. They never show their true selves to anyone because they lack any real identity and even lie to themselves. And they lack empathy and focus only on their own needs, so they don't form any deep connections with anyone. But his so-called friends, he liked the attention they gave in response to his pity stories. He could constantly text complaints about me to them, lying about how it's me who spends our money, how it was me who was not working, how it was me with issues in the bedroom, how it was me who didn't want to go out and do things. He would text a hundred pity stories, making me his scapegoat, and he would soak up the attention that he received from them. People pitied him. But eventually, they would get sick of hearing his stories. He would start to get responses like, why don't you just leave her then? Or why do you put up with it? And these would start to make him feel shameful, which he isn't equipped to handle. So he would ghost those friends and find a new friend and new supply. But just like in his romantic relationships, eventually he would hoover back the very next time he was short on supply needed something, or simply became bored. He would always assume he got out in time. In time meaning before they could clue into his games. In time to prevent that friend from closing the door to future Hoovers. To that friend being completely done with him. It's a gift, I guess. Their uncanny ability to leave all relationships hanging open just enough just enough to crawl back in at a later date. He used everyone up until they were totally void of any supply to give or material goods to offer. Then he would back away and give them time to regenerate what they have to offer. And in true leech fashion, he would return when he needed to, 
and was almost always able to. If I would have paid attention, even in the beginning, by listening to his stories, or observing him with others, or even looking at his social media, I would have been able to tell that all of his friends were actually acquaintances. Red flag number two, they were shallow connections at best. Usually, he had people he hung around or spoke about, but the entire relationship was based around a similar interest or something being offered or something he could get from the affiliation. For instance, my narc husband told these outlandish stories of his glorious youth, the hundreds of friends he went to high school with and the antics he and his closest besties got into. In his stories, these were his best friends, ride or die friends. They've known each other for 20 years or longer and would always be there for each other, no matter how much distance was between them. Best of the best. But he never talked to any of these friends. I had never met any of them. He didn't maintain any closeness with them, and their connection was actually blaringly obvious. They were involved in drunken teenage fun and had stories of drugs and idiotic behavior. They got along because they spent time drunk and high together. They slept their way through the group like a box of hamsters and broke many laws together. Each and every time they happened to reconnect, cross paths with each other at later times, they once again bonded over the ridiculous stories of immaturity and ignorance. This was all they had. These people didn't know my husband. They didn't know anything about him. They knew they got drunk and had some laughs at one time and assumed he must be some great fun guy because of this. This was just nonsense. Currently, my now ex-husband prides himself on being the life of the party in a new group of so-called friends. Once again, a group of people who know nothing about him and really don't notice. My husband rides dirt bikes and he joins clubs, goes on rides, and attends meetings. He found a group of people who he can comment dirt bike related comments on social media or talk about race conditions or bike maintenance and receive feedback. And he believes he has friends. They listen to his lies and likely believe him since they don't know him and don't really care enough to call him out on any bullshit. They connect on such a shallow level with him that they will likely never notice that they have befriended a ghost. A person so void of anything remotely real. A person who may never speak truthful words to them will use them the second an opportunity arises and who will never reciprocate any level of loyalty. A person who expects monetary donations but will not give them a person who expects honesty, but will not give it. A person who requires time and attention, but will not give it unless it suits him. He has to form these shallow connections. This is where he finds his pool of developing flying monkeys. 
this is how to disguise his loneliness with the picture of popularity. Anyone who was really paying attention or really demanding a connection with him would soon realize that he isn't who he pretends to be. And he can't have this. So you will very often see that their proclaimed closest relationships are actually masks of dishonesty. They are based on common interests and they are based on common need, such as for drugs or alcohol. Always a way to relate to each other without ever having to be real with each other. Unless, of course, they hold positions where they can exert power over others. These are the only relationships they can sustain for long periods of time. As unlikely and impossible as it sounds, he was the same way with his relatives. Red flag number three. He and his relatives had very intermittent relationships. And if you have or had any sort of normalcy in your family circle, perhaps it's hard for you to understand how those relationships can simply be shallow. You might not get along, but at least you feel you have a good idea of who people really are, right? Those in your family anyway. Well, maybe. If you have a narc in your family and you've done research on the topic and know what you're looking for, maybe you pay attention. But what about those who don't know any other way to be? What about those who don't want to believe there's evil in the world? Dare I wonder how many family members out there deal with a narcissist on a daily basis and have no idea what they're dealing with? As for my narc husband and his family, he would go months without speaking to an aunt or a brother and then he would dive back in and want to call them daily or hang out every weekend. And then before you knew it, he would step back and not interact with them for several months again. I was never really sure of why he would take the breaks from his family members especially. He really only reached out to his mother when he needed her to pay a bill for him and seemed to reach out to other family members when he was in need of sympathy or a place to live. If they started to offer too many lectures or inquiries into his poor choices, it would trigger his shame and he would sense they were suspicious of his motives or for whatever reason he didn't want to be found out for who he really is. He pulled his disappearing act until he needed them again. He burned bridges often with family members, but was always able to weasel his way back in if he let enough time go by. I can easily see now that he would always poke his head back into the relationship around holidays, maybe around his birthday or Christmas, just to get his name back on their minds, to remind them that he expected a gift or an invitation somewhere. Anytime I had called him out on his bullshit about something, he would strike back up a friendship with someone in his family so he could start damage control. So he could be laying the foundation that would either create doubt in any story I could tell or would cause a separation so big that I would have nobody to tell my story to anyway. He was always on top of making sure his lies remained safe. Those lies ranked above any relationship in his life and protecting them was his top priority. But do you know what all of this meant to me? Well, nothing at the time. But what it should have meant is that I was not the only one who fell for the facade. 
I was not the only one who failed to see the red flags. I was not the only one who had boundaries that were easily trampled by the narcissist. I was not the only one who looked past the bad behaviors by making justifications for them. I was not the only one who didn't know what a narcissist was and didn't know how to avoid being played by one. There was nothing wrong with me. Every single person, relative, friend, co-worker, and previous partner of my narcissist was used in the exact same way I had been. It wasn't me. It wasn't them. What a huge revelation. That it wasn't anything about me. This is who my husband is. And everyone in his path is treated this way. Fails to see it coming. Fails to prevent it from happening. And doesn't deserve it. There was nothing wrong with me. And there is nothing wrong with you. They fool everyone they come in contact with daily. They fool every person that dared to care about them or to even enter their life since their youth. This is what they do. There was nothing inherently wrong with you. There was no way you could have been prepared for what was about to happen. And there is nothing you could have done differently to change the outcome of this relationship. You can be different in one way from all those others. You can open your eyes to this experience now. You can learn lessons from it. You can self-reflect and become stronger and wiser because of it. You can learn to avoid it in the future. You can be better than all of them. Don't worry about them. Remember that there's a special guest on next week's episode. It had got postponed from last week's episode due to some illness, but hopefully you can tune in. You don't want to miss that. And be sure to follow the podcast to have episodes automatically added for you to listen to as they come out, and so you never miss a bonus episode. And if you have friends or family who are struggling with narcissistic abuse, or who are just willing to learn and understand your experience, share the show with them. Spreading awareness and understanding are so important. If you haven't checked out our shop on the website, go over and check that out. Help get awareness about narcissists and about narcissistic abuse out there. You can purchase a t-shirt or gear with narcissistic terminology or information on there. And think about how many people each day will see and read your shirt. The word is getting out there and we can all do our part. And with all proceeds going towards charities that specifically rescue and provide treatment and resources for those affected by narcissistic abuse and other invisible abuses, it's such a great cause and a way to give back. This community of survivors is one of the strongest out there because without each other, this type of isolating experience would be impossible to make it through. We lean on each other. We support those who have made it out and we share our stories of encouragement we spread awareness to help potential future victims. We're amazing, strong people with a powerful voice able to make a difference, one step at a time. I also understand that not everyone out there is in a place right now where they have any time or money to donate. 
Maybe they're still struggling each and every day just to get through to the next. Most of us can certainly relate to this, right? We've totally been there. Keep moving forward. You guys will get there. It will get easier, I promise. But there's something each and every one of us can do to support each other and help spread awareness. If you've found the information on the show to be at all helpful, or you can see how it might be helpful to someone at any other phase of the recovery process, go on and leave a review for the show. It helps us get out there. It helps us to show up in search results. And for those who are hunting down answers and and need to see it, it's going to pop up when they're looking for it. And that gets recovery information out there to more people who need it the most and increases the spread of awareness and increases the knowledge of these great charities that are helping to take these matters seriously and helping to free those trapped in this vicious cycle. If you aren't in a place where you have time or money to help out, that's okay. Because most of us have the time and resources to go on and leave a five-star review about the podcast, which will in turn help out those in need. Or take the time to send an email and share your survivor stories with others. A lot of times, all we have is each other. And our support, it matters. You can send in comments, requests for specific topics to be addressed on the show. If you're one of the ones still struggling just to find your way out or to make it through the choice to stay no contact or just to survive with a hopeful attitude that there's something better waiting out there for your future, if you're stuck, if you aren't getting the answers you need, make a request for something to be addressed or further explained on the show by sending an email to ibelieveyourabuse at gmail.com. And finally, many of you might be aware that I'm giving away 25 copies of my recovery book to help celebrate a new, peaceful new year for survivors everywhere. Just visit IBelieveYourAbuse.com to enter to win a copy, and be sure to enter a mailing address if you'd like a paperback copy mailed to you. Otherwise, any entries without an address will receive a Kindle version. If you've already entered and forgot to add a mailing address, no big deal. Just go email again before the drawing, and be sure to include a note stating that you've already entered, but you're interested in receiving a paperback copy instead, and then include your mailing address. Until next time, own your truth. Never stop telling your story. I believe you. Mm-hmm.